Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are, or wherever you might be. Kerry Lonigan here, and a hearty Beef Central welcome, and welcome back to Beef Central's podcast series on the grill for 2024. Today, the markets with our resident gurus and regular contributors from episode three, Market Intelligence, Matthew Dalgleish. And Matthew, welcome, and a happy new year for 2024. Thanks, Kerry. Thanks for having me. Happy new year. Say hello again to the General Manager of the RMA Network, Chris Howie. Chris, welcome. Kerry, Matt, good Chris, to be back. Chris, you're, uh, oft, you often use the word confidence when talking about livestock markets. How's your confidence for 2024? It's a complete turnaround and, look, activated by rain, Kerry. But all of the conversations now about opportunity and uh, about potential of where the market might go to. What I have noticed is it's reserved. It's not, there's not a... There's not a buy-at-all-cost mentality. A lot of people are buying to a limit, respective of species, in a much better place mid-January than what we were uh, end of November last year. Yes, we'll get into that in a moment. But, uh, Matthew, is your read similar? Any misgivings about the coming year? Um, the only real concern I've got, Kerry, is just what's installed for the autumn break. I think that's going to be pretty crucial, in, at least certainly in the south. That, that's the thing I'm just keeping an eye on now. Just to, and I mean, obviously, the, the, the tricky part is that the Bureau's accuracy in, in autumn is probably the worst it is through the season. So um, it might be a hard one, but yeah, I'd be liking to see what goes on for that autumn break and, and how wet we're going to see this coming season. Look, I'm glad you mentioned that because I checked some notes I made leading out of winter spring last year and the words El Nino were constantly coming up. Uh, I, I, no, I don't want to really dwell on it. I don't think I'm a bomb basher at all, but. Did the mention, the constant mention of El Nino, put the wind up grazies in particular? Has confidence been bashed so far down that it's struggling to come back, or or is it all over? I think I think that scare's gone now, Kerry. I think we've we've broken that cycle, and it was continuous. But we had gone into full drought mode across all states well in advance of anything happening. And now we're, now we're listening to grain growers talking about their subsoil moisture because of the rains we had through December, January, which positions them very well, considering an autumn break, the season coming. It, I, think, I think we've broken that reservation piece. Yes, I should mention that I'll be looking at the bomb and the systems they use in forecasting a future podcast. So stay tuned for that. That's if anyone will talk to me. So let's go to the action in the sale yards. Matt, plenty of action and most of it very positive for the last few weeks. The sentiment began towards the end of end of the 2023 year, but after the Christmas break and New Year break, it's kind of fired up again and, and even you know exceeded the, the, the levels um, that we kind of start to see the turnaround late last year. And um, I think if you look at something like uh, the lamb side of things, that's really taken off. I think, you know, from, from the low we saw in the National Trade Lamb Indicator, current pricing is about 80% above the, the lows of October. So a real big turnaround for, for sheep and lamb. Yeah, prices are obviously uh, up. They've come back quite considerably since, uh, say, September last year. Uh, how much has it been driven by rain and how much is it? Uh, and numbers, of course, you can't get the numbers in the, you haven't been getting the numbers in the yards that we did, say, 12 months ago. How much is pure demand for a specific purpose? Um, I actually looked at the numbers just yesterday in terms of at least yarding numbers, and since the start of the year, they're actually higher than, than this time last year. So 
I think that shows that 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 really does underlie how good the confidence is, Kerry, because um, if you compare the volumes, at least the throughput, um, the start of 2023 to the start of 2024, we're we're reasonably higher. And and last year, there were some strong numbers of cancer at the start of the year as well, so we're even stronger than that. Um, The fact that we've held these really good pricing suggests to me that the confidence has really made a massive recovery. Um, and I, you know, and I think that um, you know, and, and even if you look at slaughter too, I haven't gone through and assessed the slaughter numbers completely, but I think the slaughter since the start of year, slaughter volumes are higher as well than this time last year. So the processes are firing, which is what we need, um, and they seem to be working through these volumes, and we're getting good good throughput at the sale yard too. Um, and so when you see that positive price reaction in the face of stronger supply, that's a really positive sign from my perspective. I was just add to that, Kerry. If you go back to November. A lot of the big lamb areas were desperate. Um, they were turning lambs off. Heavy lambs were shortening up very quickly. Um, then the rain appeared, so lambs that got held, people trying to get more weight in, and we immediately saw a response. So the, the lamb market got back to where it probably should have been. It was undersold by a long way. But as we've come into the new year, we've had the bag lamb. Job, uh, there was a big bag lamb order out there, which was in direct competition to ground is re-entering the market to buy, you know, store lambs, and the heavy lambs were still in short supply. So I, I think what we've got is a couple of things. We've got that supply, quality supply pre-Christmas, and then we've had the rain, and then those that are in a position now to hold lambs, uh, those that are putting more weight on, and a couple of orders there, as well as the, the, the um, grazier competition, has pushed the market to... Look, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable where it is. I don't think it's become excessive. I think it's just been a good spot for this time of the year. It's still down on this week last year, but can you explain further about that bag deal, which I I haven't heard of anything like this before, where they are actually the carcasses are actually air freighted. Tell us about how that started and how it went through the market. Yeah, that's in the early 2000s, give or take five years. The light lamb, you know, if, if you're talking a, a sort of a, 20, uh, 14 to about a 20 kilo dress weight lamb. They were traditionally what you call a store lamb. So, you know, the, the, the agent or the grazers go to the sale yard, you buy, buy them, put them out, get them up to sort of 22 kilo and better, and then put them to processor. The bag lamb is into the Middle East. Uh, they, it's basically a low cost kill. They go in, uh, they're processed, they have a uh, muslin bag put on it, uh, you know, a cotton bag. Uh, either chilled or frozen, and then they're air freighted directly into basically the Middle East, um, and and it's and it's quite a significant part of that market. Pre Christmas, or actually probably October November, the dispute around Qatar Airlines created an issue for Bagland because Qatar Airlines used to take a considerable amount of that air freight into the Middle East. And then when, when they weren't allowed to have more planes in here, that directly impacted the ability for processors to get into that market. It's been around for a long time. We know it's there now. And um, it, it's good. it is actually very good for those that can't get a lamb to what you would call that mid to heavy range lamb. It, it gives them a, a processor outlet. So it's a, an irregular buy, but is, is it a one-off at the moment for Ramadan maybe? Uh, yeah, pre pre Ramadan, definitely. You know, that's the orders are there to fill. Um, it, it ebbs and flows. I'm not saying it's one off by. It, it's it's pretty consistent, certainly. So it, it's been around for a long time, and a couple of the bigger processes in the south have uh, have made quite a 
a market for themselves. You know, they do it very well. Um, everyone knows what they're looking for at a particular time, and you can you pretty much can target to that market. I'll just add to Kerry, it's a it's a key market for the West Australian producers specifically as well because it, it aligns with you know product that would could go on a live ship. Uh, or at least be prepared to go on a live ship down the track. Or if you wanted to get some numbers off your farm early, you can send them on that bag ma- bag market yeah. into the Middle East kill kind of thing. And and that was what I was quite critical of that decision by the Labor government, you know, around not allowing Qatari Air back with that extra additional capacity. Because you know, if they're, if they're talking closing this live ship game, they've got to you know provide other options. And I'm not saying the bag market's the the sole solution, but it certainly would be a, a reasonable kind of solution for part of that extra volume to go bag market and demonstrate that we are reliable um, chilled and you know chilled um, meat providers in that space into that market. Um, and the fact we didn't allow them back in with that access was, was a, a very bad decision from my perspective. When the land market collapsed and it probably went too far too fast. What happened to those exports mar- export markets? Why did they almost disappear? From the export side, well, part, part of those low pricing was what I think fueled the strongest volumes of seen. If you look at the lamb or the mutton space for the 2023 season, both of those markets uh, had their biggest volumes on record. Uh, and part of the reason for that was we saw very uncharacteristic high seasonal volumes going out through winter and into you know, early summer, spring. Um, and that's the time of year when our pricing, just before the spring flush comes down, we get that peak in pricing. But last year, obviously, those peaks never occurred. We actually saw the market collapse through that period of time, which is very unseasonal. And it meant that our product was so cheap uh, compared to any of our you know, competitors. Even even to New Zealand, we were dollars below them uh, at one stage at the, at the depth of the lows for, for lamb. So, um, yeah, the, the big, I guess, success story, you know, uh, the silver lining on the, on that kind of, um, disastrous price year for produce last year was the fact that we managed to get back some significant market share from some key markets, um, you know, because of that competitive pricing. Am I right in reading that New Zealand numbers keep going down and down and they were a major competitor in the land market? Uh... Up until, so, so if you look at their, their kind of, um, size of their flock and their size of their breeding year numbers for the last, Probably 15 years they've been on a steady decline. I don't think they've seen an increase to their breeding new numbers since 2006 on any year since then. So they have been slowly going down. But their, their reductions in their sheep flocks have been larger up until about last year. And just this most recent year, their, their flocks stabilised, so they haven't seen much of a reduction. I think it was 0.2% decline for the whole flock. Had a handful of years where they've had a bigger lamb crop, but it's been in the last 15 years, it's maybe been four or five years where they've had an increase to their lamb crop, you know, from the previous year. So, you know, they have been reducing the size of their flock. Um, in saying that, though, they are they are pretty efficient producers. So, you know, smaller flock, but maybe you know the lamb crop still um, getting some efficiencies out of their production systems. Um, and they don't and they don't chase the weight that we've got, Kerry. They are yeah. very much a sort of about 20 to 24 kilo lamb. Time for a break. We're on the markets with uh, Chris Harry and Matthew Dalglish. Back in a moment. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH14 protection against pneumonia. 
Rapid protection against MH and IBR in your weaners and pre-feedlot cattle. Breathe easy with Overshield and Rhinica. Available from your local vet today. For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders for Australian agriculture. We're back checking on the markets with Matthew Delgleish from Episode 3 and Chris Howie from the RMA Network. We talk about the, uh, the cattle market. I noticed the Eki's still down $1.60 on this week last year. Uh, the feeder steer price is down 71 cents, 70 odd cents since this week last year. And the, and the cow price, which I always like to watch, it's, it's down 40 cents on this week last year. So the market's a, a long way from getting back to good health is it what's drive what's the driver in the cattle market at present in activated the inquiry uh, day one as soon as it happened we saw overnight yeah um in various areas the cow job ticked yeah and that's that's a rain spike but the continued rain provided season and uh and then we had the separation of price between north and south so if you look at the ecchi the wieners or, or the backgrounding style cattle in the north were considerably expensive than the southern cattle, even to the point that with the freight included, we were landing cattle out of the Wiener Sales home cheaper than what they could buy them in uh, in southern Queensland. Buyers down from uh, Queensland, that your, your sales in southern northern Victoria recently? Um, so RMA, we had an order out of Roma, uh, one of the members, and sent a considerable number up there to Feedlot, uh, Walgett, Dolby activated, um, you know, the New England. There, there, was, there was some good orders really underpinned that uh, the overall sale series. Yeah. The other thing I'd add there, Kerry, to that cattle price, just that general kind of uplift in cattle prices across the board would be uh, a bit more normalisation of that differential between, say, US pricing versus Australia and what's been happening in the US regards there. They're, they're in their fourth uh, year of liquidation. Um, just, just, just off the back of the last part of last year, they, they saw peaks in cattle pricing there. Uh, record peaks for US cattle pricing, and, and that was that around the time when we were actually down near our lows. So, so the differential, the spreading price between Australia, say heavy steer versus the US equivalent, was the widest it ever got to late last year. Yeah. Um, so there was a l- lot of room to catch up um, in terms of that spread to getting back to more normal levels. And um, and the other thing was that that back end of 2023, the US demand for Australian beef really started to pick up. Um, we, we saw a really strong finish to the year uh, out of the US for Australian beef because you know they're, they're starting to tighten their supply. They've been working through their cold store in the US over the last quarter. Their cold store dropped significantly for red, red meat, um, and they started searching aggressively for competitive uh, beef product. And Australia was the place to find it. So, what sort of beef are they looking for from Australia, Matty and, and Chris? I mean, is it the usual? Hamburger meat or grinding meat, as we call it, or is it, are they yeah, going for quality? It, quality? Uh, it's a bit of a mix, but yeah, look, the bulk of it is that manufactured. I think about sixty-five percent or something to that amount each year is, is the grinding meat. So yeah, they are looking for that commoditized side. Um, but in saying that, you know, there are other cuts we're sending as well. Um, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty keen uh, consumers of our wagyu. In fact, on the other side of the spectrum, 
Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I had a couple of conversations this morning and we're just starting to see and this is inquiry out of the out of the big end of town, not you know, not your little butcher shops. The high quality market is starting to move. A lot of your feedlots on the long fence are they're, they're staying right up on their number. They're not they're not allowing much space to appear, which is I think that's a good indicator. And there's a couple of sort of you'd say tidy prices out there. Just little niche markets, the order mightn't be yeah. very big, but it's coming out of some reasonable size prices. It, it doesn't go into the uh, retail side of it, does it? I think it goes mostly into the hospitality side. Correct, yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. It's still, yeah. And, it, and a lot of and, and branded product, you yeah. know, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it'll be a high-level Angus or, or whatever that, uh, that is targeted into, into hospitality. That's still a, quite a lucrative market for Australian producers if they get a foothold there, I guess. Markets that I'm keen to check on. Uh, Japan, have they finished eating their way through their chiller houses full of uh, red meat yet? Yeah, no, they had, they did have very high supplies there in Japan in terms of cold store, and that's part yeah. of the reason we've seen their demand was very soft for most of 2023. Yeah. We, um, in saying that, December was probably the strongest month we've had in about nine months for, for exports to Japan. So that that may be uh, a, you know, an indication that they've turned the corner. I'm hopeful that we're going to see a little bit more demand from Japan coming into 2024 now um, if, they've, if they've worked through some of that, that that kind of cold store. And also the other aspect, like our biggest competitor in Japan is the US. Yeah. And with what I've just spoken about, what's happening in the US yeah. regards their pricing and about their supply, they're going to have restrictions in terms of what they can send uh, to Japan this coming season in volumes and in, and the price isn't going to be very competitive at all. So uh, I think that will mean that we're going to see Japan emerge again as a, as a significant player. I mean, they're already number two, but you know the, the, I think we'll see bigger volumes to Japan this year. So that'll be another area we, we can, um, now Australian producers can um, send product to for sure. So the benefits are coming or they've already arrived? I think they're coming still. I think they're, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think as this year progresses, I think we'll see them kind of re-engage in a more uh, serious manner uh, with, with Australian product. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Matt. I, I think what we're hearing and seeing is that as we head towards April, May, that, you know, there's no big hits in this, but I think we're strengthening as we go. Yeah, the coal storage in uh, Japan was unbelievable. And uh, I, I often wonder uh, how they keep it for so long and then sell it, but I guess they know what they're doing. Now, um, and that, that, that was one of the discussions this morning. There's, yeah. there's still a bit of backlog, yeah. um, you know, it's in bonds. But the market's definitely improving. Yeah. yeah. Now, China. China's a, a weird one because they have such severe, deep-seated economic problems, but they're still buying a hell of a lot of meat, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was – if you look at some of those big volumes I spoke about with regards to sheep meat specifically, um, yeah, the mutton to China this last season was just record levels. I, I think out of the whole of the year, there was only one or two months where it was, where they didn't break a monthly record, um, yeah. they had the strongest strongest year we've seen in a long time. Actually, stronger than the 2019 year when they are in the depths of their, uh, you know, lack of pork product because of African swine fever, yeah. and that that supercharged their demand. And and this year in mutton, we even exceeded um, that by about 13 or 15 percent or something. So you know, massive amounts of volumes, uh, which is surprising considering that yeah they they have got some issues around economic confidence and and the economy there quote from a recent report, back to America just briefly, beef production will likely continue to fall for the next several years. That Look, that I know it's bad news for American producers, but it's surely that's terrific news for Australian producers. 
Absolutely it is, yeah. Like I said before, the US are our, our biggest and pretty much our only competitor into the Japanese market. And then you've got South Korea, they're our biggest and only competitor pretty much is the US. In the Chinese market space, you know, um, countries like uh, Brazil obviously send a lot of commoditized product into China, but where we compete in China is more in that, you know, kind of higher end stuff. And, and our competitors there would be more recently the US as a, as a key one, and then it'd be Argentina and Uruguay probably. So, you know, three of our four main export markets of beef, the US is a pretty significant competitor and they're going to be curtailed. And then obviously the, the fourth biggest is the US themselves is a, is, a, is a customer. So, you know, with them going through their own domestic situation and lack of supply, they're going to be searching like I just said before for products. Um, so the opportunities for the beef space for Australia this year, I think, are pretty good from an export perspective. Let's touch on the Indonesian live trade. Some warm green shoots lately, but it's still a struggle, isn't it? Has been. I think the, the green shoots are obviously price driven as well. You know, we yeah. saw some of the issues last year were that we would, you know, we were just, um, you know, well before the before the drop in pricing. When you go back to those peaks in beef, um, that was really hurting the Indonesian market. Just we were just pricing ourselves out of the market to a degree. Uh, whereas now that that situation's reversed, you know, and even with yeah. this rally, even with this rally in pricing, you know, I don't think we're going to get back to those heady days that we saw, you know, um, pre the pre the price collapse. Yeah. Um, this year, I think we're we're looking at a much more normalised season for pricing, and so that will mean that we we should be able to continue to grind away at that um at that access into Indonesia again for the live side. A nice little, yeah, that's uh, a really good point. I was talking to yeah. a couple of the exporters um, last week. Uh, you know, they're busy. Uh, they've got inquiry. They've got ships moving. Yeah. Um, and again, it's driven by price and, and it's the right time of the year. You know, yeah, so, It could be Ramadan as well. Now, just speaking of Indonesia, yep. last year, especially um, in the early part of last year, we could be, hardly stop talking about LSD and FMD. Is there still, when you walk around the sail yards and put your foot on the rail, uh, Chris, is, is there any chatter about LSD or FMD anymore? Unless you, unless you raised it, not one word. Yeah. Uh, I'll give credit. Uh, actually, sorry, I'll give you credit to the, um, the Victorian Department of Ag. They had stands set up at every sale that I went to, uh, from Barnawatha right through to Casterton, with their table there and and you know biosecurity and making sure that people had an awareness. But in general conversation, I'd, maybe one person. That yeah, was it. It's really odd, isn't it? Um, it'll happen, and everyone will be talking about it. But well, I hope it doesn't happen, of course. But I think it's inevitable. Uh, for LSD at least. Um, let's go to a subject where I'm longing for your contribution, uh, Mr Howie and Mr Dalglish. I, I have just been appointed the Minister for the Cost of Living in Australia. Uh, yeah, this is good. <laughs> I, want you, I want you to convince me why we should be marketing mutton to Australians as an alternative and a very cheap form of protein. Mr Howie, you have the floor for the moment. It is simple. It has been lost from our marketing campaigns. It's a low-cost commodity-based meal. Cooking techniques now in regards to, to uh, roasting, long cook, everyone wants the, the immediate you know, mouthfeel. I, I think it's a no-brainer. I can't understand why we've got um, export cuts of beef on the shelf, yet we can't put mutton on the shelf. And instead of being you know, $20 a kilo, it's $10 a kilo. Uh, and that way you'd have more families that can buy red meat and they would, you know, and they'd turn it into curries or into buddy casseroles or into whatever. But what a great way to get 
red meat onto the table of those that are just doing it a bit tough. If you foresee any problems, Chris, or Matty, with this, rather? One I could think of is when Chris was mentioning those numbers, I know he was just pulling those numbers just as a hypothetical, $20 versus $10. But the only thing I question is whether it would still occur if um, if you've got a Chinese consumer that's prepared to pay $12 for the mum. And I think that's, you know, that's part of that narrative. Chris, Chris <laughs> hit the nail on the head. Yeah. You know, that, that we, we have seen, if you go back 20 years, Terry, the average Australian like per capita consumption, if you look at lamb and mutton combined, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was about six kilo of mutton and about eighteen kilo of lamb going back twenty years, right? Yes. Nowadays, nowadays the average consumption of lamb is about six kilo, and mutton we virtually don't eat at all domestically. Yeah. I think it's yeah. point, point three point three of a kilo or something. Three hundred grams is the average mutton, um, which I think is when we go out and have the odd chico roll because chico rolls mutton, that's not chicken. Um, so. That's, that's, about, that, that's about the only time Australians will eat mutton, I think, is when they have yeah. a chicken roll at the service station. Um, is there mutton and, in there um, as well as in a chicken yeah, roll? It's, 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 it's mutton, not chicken. I always thought it was chicken, but it actually is mutton. Without any stats, one in five families now has got a smoker of some way, shape or form. America's yeah. been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, even over Christmas, we were, we were smoking big racks of mutton ribs. They are just really good. They they render out. They're they're good to eat, and but you can't find it anywhere unless you unless you hang in your own hut. Uh, you yeah. wouldn't be able to go to a butcher shop and say, "Can I have a side of mutton?" I think you've got to demonstrate to the average consumer that, like you're saying, Chris, it's about the technique you use, and if you use the right technique, it's a superb cut. And then and then once you realise that it is a superb cut and the flavours are awesome, that you will pay that bit extra for it. Um, because I think mutton, the old the old kind of mentality was mutton was just you know, kind of the rubbish stuff that you, you know, and it did, and it didn't cook well. But I think it's it's an educational piece, and then people yeah, realise yeah. that it's worth it's worth paying for. But maybe you could start with hoggett. Hoggett might be a nice entryway gateway. The gateway red meat into mutton could be hoggett. Oh, I know yep. a lot of people who would be into hoggett, but maybe you could sell mutton with a recipe. A recipe. Mm. Oh, look, and we see it all the time. We see it with beef. We see it with chicken, pre-marinated. You know, you've got yeah. it there. Here's their instructions. Put it in. Put it in your Weber for three hours. Get it out. Cut it up. You know, it's so simple. I just think I, I don't think there's been any focus on it whatsoever. Chris, so what price would you offer a leg of mutton for retail uh, in a supermarket? Well, at present, it, and supermarkets are hard because they can offset against yeah. other products. So at mm. present, you can go in and pick up a leg at twelve dollars. Yeah, I, I, I don't know whether that comparison is something that you can make out yeah. of a supermarket. You'd, yeah. you'd need to go back to carcass value and, yeah. you know, the on-costs are the same. And then, you know, if, if you're buying mutton at 250 and you're buying lamb at $7, well, there's, there's your separation, you know. Mm. So. Do you think it'll ever happen, seriously, or is, is there too much? Oh, well, I don't know. It's a, look, it's a, the MLA, that's the MLA's job. Yeah. Why shouldn't? That's my question: is why shouldn't it happen? Um, you know, mutton mutton pays levy no different. You know, it's a no different. You know, it's only a twenty cent levy, but it's a consistent supply every year. Those old ewes, those old weathers, they come out and they're there. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I just think a bit of marketing. It's, we've seen the, the grass and beef job, which was only supposed to be a niche market that just took off. Maybe. Um, we've got an extra six hundred and fifty thousand people in country this year with twenty seven million. Yeah. Um, like, why don't we spend a little bit of money and just say let's try and market some mutton and see what happens? And a lot of them would come from countries where there'd be 
not unused to eating uh, mutton or goat yep. or something like that. Yes. Yep. Mm. Their, their principal principal diet is either goat or or mutton. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Men, Chris Harry from the RMA Network, Matty Douglas from Episode Three. Thank you. Uh, for your contributions today, an economic-led mutton recovery. What a great headline. Now, a reminder both, <laughs> Matt, and Chris, <laughs> a reminder both Matt and Chris are regular contributors to the Beef Central website. And thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan. This has been the Weekly Grill, brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis.